everyone. I'm Dr. Yosefa Fogel-Rubel, and this is One-on-One Women Talk Torah, a series brought to you by Matan Women's Institute for Torah Study. Welcome back to Matan's One-on-One podcast, where we spend 30 minutes speaking about the Parsha. Our episodes in the Book of Reshit will focus on family and interpersonal dynamics. These conversations aspire to be candid, insightful, and respectful. We aim not to psychoanalyze the biblical figures, but to learn from them as we stumble through our own beautifully messy lives. It's still not too late to register for yearly classes. Check out the Matan website and all social media platforms for relevant information. If you would like to sponsor a podcast episode in honor or memory of a loved one, please contact the Matan office via telephone or email us at podcast at matan.org.il. Parshat Lechicha chronicles the first portion of the Avraham narratives. It opens with the monumental command that Avraham leave for Canaan, and then continues with his jarring descent to Egypt in the wake of famine, where he presents Sarai as his sister, lest she be taken by the Egyptians. Avram decides to separate from his nephew Lot, who will be the topic of today's conversation, and it is in the wake of this parting of ways that Avram has promised the land of Israel for his descendants. This is followed by the narrative of the war between the four and five kings and Avram's first real foray into local geopolitics. Avram then partakes in the covenant of the pieces, Brit Benaptarim, and God reveals the nation's future role as slaves, while simultaneously promising him and the nation that they will inherit the land of Israel. This promise seems puzzling at this point in Breshit, but for those who know the story's continuation, they understand how this promise ultimately plays out. The rest of the Parsha, in one way or another, dances around the promise of progeny. Initially, this promise seems threatened, both because Avram and Sarai have no children, and because he births a child through Hagar, whom Sarai does not want around her home. Hagar is sent away, and Ishmael is born outside their home and promised his own unique destiny, albeit not the one God seems to be promising Avram. After this, God changes the names of both Avram and Sarai, and promises him that despite their old age, they too will have a son. The Parsha ends with Avraham's Brit Milah at the age of 99. Parshat Lechicha really dances around the two covenants of land and progeny, and how, despite life's fragility and its windy course, God will realize them through the conduits of Avraham and Sarah. Brit Milah is a covenant intimately connected with the promise of progeny, and the Brit Ben Eptarim, the covenant of the pieces, intertwines with the promise of land. Both of these foundational covenants involve a degree of travail, physical comfort and sometimes infertility in the case of Brit Milah and progeny, and enslavement and conquest in the case of land inheritance. No divine promise, it seems, can be fulfilled without paralleled heroic human efforts. Today, I have the pleasure of sitting down with Rabbi Johnny Solomon, teacher, rabbi, and spiritual coach. You can read more about his endeavors on his website, rabbijohnnysolomon.com, and you can read his daily thoughts on the Daf Yomi, both on his website and on his Facebook page. Rabbi Solomon co-hosts the podcast, RZ Weekly, and teaches in Matanz Beit Shemesh branch. This year, he will be teaching a course on Rambam's Yesodea Torah. Rabbi Solomon, it's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I follow you on Facebook, I'm not going to lie, <laughs> and I will let you know that uh, my Chavruta and I learned the unbelievable source packet you shared uh, online of 
interesting shootim, interesting responsa uh, that I think you taught as a matan course in the past, and we I've had a taught, blast. I've taught, and I'm going to be giving a class later this afternoon from that very same packet, this one on the Basamim Rosh. Yes. So we, we had a total blast, so I want to thank you for that. It My was a, our, our summer fun. <laughs> so we're here today to speak about the figure of Lot, who, when you, when you brought up that idea, I was really thrilled to be able to speak about him, because I think he's a figure that sort of in the in the intensity of these covenants and the divine revelation to Avram, sometimes he can get a little bit lost in the shuffle. So mm-hmm. I'm so happy to have the opportunity to sort of highlight his his character and what what familial relationships he he highlights and challenges and brings to the fore in these parshiot. So thank you for that. And, and take us in to Lot wherever you would like to. Okay, well, firstly, again, thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, I suppose... I've been interested in the relationship between Avram, Sarai, or Avram and Sarah and Lot for some years. I used to teach uh, in high school for many years, and we, like many schools, taught Lech Lecha. And the more you look at those psukim, the more you realize that something's happening in that family dynamic. But it was only a couple of years ago when I read a fabulous article published in Tradition by Dr. Nahama Price titled complexity or simplicity, the true character of Lot, where I realized that there was another way to make sense of Lot and the relationships he has with Avram and Sarah, and perhaps what he's striving to achieve, and perhaps even his frustrations as an individual, what he wants to be doing, even though, as you say, and as you've noted, perhaps the outcome of his actions are disappointing uh, as seen by his uncle and aunt, and in fact, disappointing as seen by us as readers of Tanakh. So we begin the story uh, right at the end of Parashat Noach, where we're told that Lot's father, Haran, dies, and he's taken in under the wing by his uncle and aunt. We don't exactly know how old Lot is at this time. What we do know is that when Avram departs, he is 75 years old, Sarah would be 65, and an estimated calculation would be that Lot perhaps in, is, is in his uh, maybe 20s, 30s, or 40s. He is an adult as we see it, perhaps a young adult as we understand it in terms of the uh, lifespan of those biblical characters. And he goes, as was done then, uh, into the home of Rav Avman Sarah and joins them on their journey. And they go, as we know, on a tumultuous journey, uh, following the call of Lech Lecha. And they journey, and in so doing, try and inspire others before they go and as they go, uh, and try and be a beacon of monotheism wherever they go. And the question really is, uh, what happens in terms of the life of Lot? Now, from the verses, uh, certainly the first few chapters in Parashat Lech Lecha, it seems to be that you have a relationship that devolves over time. And as uh, Professor Nechama Leibovitz and others have detailed, perhaps this is due to the increase in wealth uh, and of possessions in the life of Avram and in the life of Lot. Because as we see early on in Lech Lecha, we have a family relationship uh, where we're told how Avram takes uh, Sarai and Lot and the possessions that they have, but in the forthcoming chapters, we see that the possessions seem to come between, quite literally, in the verses between Avram and Lot. And then, of course, we have this proclamation that there seems to be strife between um, those looking after the animals of Avram and Lot 
And Avram says to Lot, his nephew, And then Lot chooses to move to Stom, and we all see that as being a heinous moral choice. And from then on, he is ultimately tainted in the eyes of the biblical reader. Uh, and that's generally how we see him. But then Dr. Price says, perhaps we see him wrong. Because though he is often portrayed as an anti-hero, maybe, in fact, he is striving to do good. And she quotes numerous Mufoshim, such as the Radak, who says, you know, when he was in the house of Avram and Sarah, and they were really trying to be mekarev rochokim, um, was Lot involved? And according to the Radak, yes, he was. He was doing as his uncle and aunt did. And as they journeyed, was he part and parcel of the mission of Avram and Sarah in trying to spread the name of monotheism? And we see indications that, yes, too, he did. In fact, she goes on to suggest that perhaps the reason he goes to Storm is not because he's morally corrupt, but because he wants to fulfill a mission that he was taught by his uncle Avram of trying to spread monotheism, especially in a place that is so corrupt as Storm. I wanted and, to stop you there yeah. for a moment because I, I love that reading. I'll just say that uh, Dr. Nechama, oh, not doctor, but Nechama Price taught me when I was in the Stern many, many, many years ago. And she's a phenomenal uh, teacher and uh, author as well. An author as well. That dual reading is, is very not, is not intuitive. That we are so quick to think that, oh, somebody who is led towards a place that's full of evil clearly is someone who must have bad in them. But to be done the kaf's chut and say, well, maybe he goes there because he wants to be that guy, that rabbi who moved to the small community and wants to try and change the reality there. It may look impossible. We know by the end of the story that it didn't necessarily go very well. But from the outset, I think that that's a, a really important point to just stop and, and take it in for a moment, that there may be a way to look at Lot's decision and say it wasn't something that was simply about greed. It wasn't simply about being drawn to people who weren't good. After all, the Psukim don't say that he chooses it because the people aren't good. It says that he chooses that area because it seems suitable for his needs. Mm -hmm. And then the Psukim come, the narrator comes and says, by the way, just know the people in stone were really, really, really not great people. So it's unclear what the correlation is between his intentions and what actually takes place after. One point I also just wanted to add about what you said earlier is about his father dying. Something that you notice if you read a lot of children's books, which I do on a daily basis, is that all heroes' journeys or all journeys of self-discovery, I don't think they have to start like this, but in all children's books, they start with parents dying. Okay, it's it's terrible. Why does every Disney movie or these books have to start with someone being left alone in the world? For whatever reason, that's how many of them start. But as you said that, I thought about that piece, which is that while we look at it as a genealogical description, right? He dies, so he has to join Abraham's family. But if we look at it as a story, we could say, well, that's quite an opening for a journey of self-discovery. Somebody who doesn't have a parent of their own and has to be absorbed at whatever age. He was young enough to be considered young-ish in those days, although, of course, he was. it seems he certainly wasn't a boy, that he has to go and figure out who he is. How much is he like this family that he's been brought into? And how much does he, does he have another calling perhaps in the world? So that starting point of his, of his father, it's also being adopted, but also that 
part about not having parents who are alive that I think sort of sets us up to maybe look at Lot from this perspective of of a, a youth or somebody who has to figure out their own way in the world because life circumstances have deemed them part of of a unique set of of circumstances. Right, and 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 this is really a key question in trying to make sense of Lot because. We need to also remember that Avram and Sarah don't have children at this point in time, don't have children for some while, but they are yearning for children. This is already evident from the last perak of Parashat Noach, Vatisa Akara, En Lavlad. And so Lot is there or, or, or joins him at that point in time. And the question is both, how does Lot see himself in the relationship between his uncle and aunt? How does he see himself within the household of Avram and Sarah? But also, how does they, they see him as an adopted son slash nephew? Well, they've adopted him as a nephew, but uh, how does that work? And are they trying to make him into a son-like figure? You know, why does Lot try and do, according to the Radak, the things that his uncle and aunt are doing? It could be because he's keen and is inspired by the role model that is his uncle and aunt. And it could be that Avram and Sarah want him to be just like them. Yeah, because they're uh, looking to have that child. Because they're looking to have that role. Right, and they don't know how to raise another child. They haven't had that experience before. And perhaps the raising of Lot is itself the journey of learning that every parent needs in terms of raising a child. And then they, of course, we have Ishmael and Yitzchak. But we forget that they had trial number one, which was Lot. And there were lessons to be learned from that experience. You know, I'm blessed to have five daughters. And I say, what were the lessons I messed up on with child number one, which I'm trying to do better with my other children? Lot was, I wouldn't say an experiment. He was a choice. He came into their home and they took him with them. But nevertheless, is he trying to be like them or is, are they trying to make him like them? And that question is never fully answered. Uh, but we do seem to see almost he's like a shadow. Avram has wealth and all of a sudden he has wealth, right? They're on a journey and he's making choices and perhaps they not, may not be the same, but they may well be coming from the same point of Ratzon, of desire, as we say, of, of spreading monotheism. We mentioned Stom, and we'd say, why would he go to a place like this? Uh, and as was mentioned, there's this wonderful article, perhaps he went in order to better the place, improve their moral standards. And that also answers the question of Avram's incredulity in terms of not being able to find righteous people there. If Stom was such a morally corrupt place, then why would Avram think that you can find, find people there? But Lot was there, and Avram believed that Lot could have made a difference, because had Avram been there, he would have made a difference. And so when he says, are there not even 10 good people there? I think his question is, has my nephew not done what I thought he would do? And the answer is, no, he hasn't. But it's perhaps because you expected too much of him. And perhaps it's because Lot tried to imitate his uncle and aunt rather than emulate them. And the difference being that emulating would have been to take the traits that he saw modeled by them, but that he would take it in his own direction and he would be able be to be successful in, in what, he, what he wanted to change in this world. Right. And I, I've seen this many, many times. I think back to a company my father worked for many, many years ago. And the boss worked very, very hard to build this company. And he imagined that his sons would take over. 
And his sons were not invested, but the father believed that the children could be just like him. And within a matter of years, the company just fell apart because the father didn't realize the kids were different. Uh, and we see this many, many times where parents believe that the children will be just like them, and that's their error. You need to teach children values, but understand that they are unique. And it's even more complex when the child joins you later on in their journey. Lot's joining, as I say, maybe 20s, 30s, 40s, or something like that. But he's been influenced for the wider world. And so what we're trying to see here is when Lot makes choices... What's motivating him? Is he trying to please others? Is he trying to find himself? Is he trying to imitate his uncle and aunt? Or, and has he failed to find that right balance of emulation and yet self-realization? I'll take a step back in before they actually separate Avraham and Lot. There's an exchange there that you mentioned briefly that I also think is is really important to point out because it it's a pattern that then is is copied uh, in in stories after this. I'm looking here at the 13th chapter of uh, of Sefer Brishit. When Avram looks at Lodens, who also is very wealthy, and he says, I don't want to be fighting with you. He says in the, in the eighth verse, as you said before, uh, he says, And it's funny because this is a phrase that's repeated later by the brothers of Yosef. He says, I don't want us to fight because we were family. I'm going to translate Achim here as family. And there's an assumption, and this also I think is super interesting to look at in light of family dynamics. He says siblings shouldn't have these kinds of disputes. And then what does he bring as a next option? His option is Halo Kol Haaretz Lefanecha. He pared na mealai im hasmol veimina veim hayamin veasmeila. Okay, so he says. Here's an option. Brothers shouldn't fight. Families shouldn't have disputes. But what they can do to make their disputes uh, livable is to separate geographically. And that we see repeated by Yaakov and Esav, where we're almost hoping that maybe they'll be able to live physically next to each other, but then they decide, or Yaakov decides that it's best that they live apart. Yosef brings his brothers to Goshen. He doesn't live with his brothers in Mitzrayim. He lives a few hours away in the capital, and they live there. This idea that we don't want to perpetuate dispute in the family but we, I also understand that living together isn't always the best choice. That sometimes geography that isn't uh, isn't suffocating can actually lead sometimes to more successful family relationships. Just this, this piece sort of caught me because it's repeated in later stories in Sefer Breshit, where we want to preserve the family while understanding that sometimes that means having space from each other. Well, you just mentioned how in uh, Peregud Gimel that Avam refers to Lot as Achim, as if to tell us that he is part of the family, as Rashi says, he Krovim. Yet a chapter beforehand, we are told often repeatedly that Lot is Ben Achiv, that he is his nephew. And you wonder what takes place between chapter 12 and chapter 13. There he has this label of nephew, and all of a sudden now, Avram is referring to him as being Achim. And if you look at Rashi, actually on those words, Anashim Achim, 
He then quotes a Midrash, Midrash Agada, Domim Cluster Panim. That they appear the same. And you wonder, well, is this a new thing? Surely they appeared the same in chapter 12 or in, in chapter 11 were introduced to Lot. And I think that Rashi chooses to mention this fact here informs us that a shift is taking place. Rather than uncle-nephew dynamic, uh, Avram sees Lot growing up. He sees more similarities in Lot. It's not just that Lot looks like Avram now, it's that Avram notices the similarities. And he sees him as being a grown-up with his own needs. And he's pivoting in terms of perhaps the kind of guidance he gives him. Rather than simply follow me, he's trying to tell Lot, follow yourself, be yourself. In fact, it's worthwhile noting here too that, you know, later on we see that Avram parts ways with Hagar and Yishmael. Earlier on, we've seen him part ways with his family. And so the parting ways with Lot isn't unique to Avram. But what we're seeing here is a reason why. Avram doesn't like argumentation. He tries to avoid arguing with his father. He sees that they're on a different page. They, they part ways. He sees here that his nephew is now an adult, and he wants to foster independence. And so he gives him advice as Achim because he sees him more as somewhat of an equal. Later on, of course, the story and the dynamic with Hagar and Ishmael is different. But this too plays into this question of maybe when he was younger, um, Avram and Sarah tried to treat him as a younger person and wanted him to be like them, or he wants to be like them. That itself is unclear. But from this point on, he's being nudged to follow his own path. And yet the question really is, what is that? One point before you move on to that question is that if we look at the chronology at face value, Mm -hmm. on one hand, he treats him as somewhat of an equal, realizes that Lot's growing up, but in the chapter after, he has to be rescued by Avram. Yes. And that is like that funny dynamic when your adult child comes and asks you to do your laundry for them, where where they really want their independence, but sometimes they also need to lean into the fact that they could be taken care of by somebody else. And while that's a perfectly natural human need, there's something confusing about it. And it points to the complexity. Now, I am years away from this in my parenting of my children, but I can relate to it as a child with parents, that that complexity of of being the child, but already being an adult, and, and the gray boundaries between those relationships. That on one hand, you want to be an equal, but sometimes you're also going to need to be rescued. Absolutely. By the way, we're recording in Efrat. My daughter is a Komanarit in Efrat. And when she heard that I was coming to the neighborhood, she said, Daddy, can you bring me this, that, and the other. Yeah. She's a big girl, but still, she's a child. And I think that's exactly the point. So it's interesting. Years ago, I was in a summer course in Barilan with, uh, with the professor who's still there, uh, Professor Tzvi Shimon. And he put forward the following theory. And I actually think that it complements very well what you've been putting forward here. He said that there's a theory that characters or figures in Tanakh are often presented in binaries, that they're either good or they're bad. We can all agree or disagree with that theory. I I largely disagree with it. But what he says is that one of the first ways that we see that that theory is not so accurate in in Tanakh study is because of the figure of Lot. Mm -hmm. He says you first meet 
Avraham and Sarah, or Avraham and Sarai, who are clearly representing a positive morality, trying to put forward something new in the world. And, and you have some very negative, classic negative figures in these parshiot. He says, but then you have Lot. Lot is presented in a number of places also in the evening. We have the emphasis on the evening, which is sort of this dusk time. It's not day or it's not night. Um, he's physically, as you said before, physically presented in Psukim in between, uh, in between the older figures, and he's constantly presented somewhere in the middle. And this question of how do we assess, evaluate Lot's actions really emphasizes or I think, or strengthens this this theory, or this theory emboldens what you've already said today, which is that he's somewhere in the middle, and and we'll see that playing out completely when it comes to Yitzchak. Meaning, this question of how much does Yitzchak preserve, put forward, move forward the the mission and the ideas of Avram is the main question mm. uh, when it comes to understanding the Yitzchak narratives. But what you're saying is that it really already comes to the fore in a way with their first their first child, right? Or their first attempt at parenting. Right? Halavai that we could all, you know, erase the mistakes we make with the first, that they comes to the fore also with Lot. And this question of he's constantly sort of this great figure. And I'll also jump to the end of the Stone story, which is, of course, very complex, or perhaps I'll just say immoral sexual relationship with his daughters, which it's their choice, meaning they choose to bring the events to where they do. But perhaps one of the most condemning parts of that story is that Lot is not aware um, that in those verses it says that Lot doesn't know what happens, and it even happens two nights in a yeah. row. And so while it's his daughter's idea, and we could talk about whether or not the Psukim condemn them or don't condemn them, it's it's very, very ambiguous, which can which contributes to this general idea that it's ambiguous right. surrounding Lot. Yeah. Uh, meaning on one hand we come out with nations, on the other hand, there's sort of a general uh, abhorrence of Gilui Arayot, of immoral sexual family relations. But perhaps the biggest issue is that Lot remains unaware throughout the whole process. And so we end off again on this note of, is it just a demise of Lot? Or are we, are we somehow comforted by the fact that his family does persist in the world and there are nations that he is an ancestor of? And so this question of how do we evaluate Lot continues to, to escort us throughout the narratives that in which he's involved in. Well, as you know, Chazal, they portray Lot in a highly negative light, uh, continuously. And whenever reference is made to Lot, it is based on the poor choices he makes and the legacy that he leaves. Uh, but it's a mixed legacy. And, you know, you went and you described how this professor talks about certain personalities being black and white and Lot being perhaps a reflection of gray. But overall, when we read stories, we also mentioned previously children's stories, we like to talk about goodies and baddies, right? Who is on the right side of the law and who is on the bad side of the law? But oftentimes our enemies or the people that we find morally corrupt are a lot more similar to us than we'd ever imagined. And even if we buy into the portrait of Lot as depicted by Chazal, within that portrait are echoes of goodwill that we see, perhaps learnt from Avam and Sarah. Just as much as when we talk about Esav, Chazal are quite emphatic that notwithstanding his very terrible, heinous choices, 
there are positive lessons he learned from his home that we see reflected in later choices. So whether we go in that direction, we know that he learned a lot from Avraham and Sarah. My feeling, though, is that's part of the typecasting that Chazal do to make the lessons of Tanakh a little bit more lucid to perhaps a more common reader. But, you know, I end with, lot, with lots of questions, questions in terms of what lessons we can learn when people raise other people's children. And it's also worthwhile noting here that we read, of course, about the conversations between Avram and Lot. What we don't hear is the conversation between Sarah and Lot. And when we think about who she is, just think about this becomes the first child in her home that she's raising that isn't hers. And then we have Ishmael. Maybe her whole reaction to Ishmael is a flashback to her frustrations about what she could and couldn't do in terms of the choices Lot made or the poor choices that she and Ava may have made as well in terms of perhaps expecting him to be more like them than he could. This whole question of imitation or emulation, I think, is, uh, is very, very clear, uh, very emphasized in Parashat Lech Lecha, continuing on in Vayera. And it leads us to ask ourselves, what do we do as parents? Also, what do we do as teachers when we're trying to educate others? Do we see them as being unique beings? To what extent do we see them as independents, where we saw there with Avram describing Lot as a brother, saying, make your own choices, and when do we step in to save people, and when do we not? So all of these lessons uh, are not just telling us about this interesting relationship between Avram, Sarah, and Lot, but also the interesting relationships that each of us have within our homes, within our places of work, within the world at large. Wow, I know that I'm left with uh, a lot of things to to think about and these relationships to sort of assess. I think looking at Lot as the first attempt uh, of, of parenting on the part of Avram and Sarah for me is a totally new way of, of looking at these stories. And, and looking at him as that adopted child, for anyone who's really more familiar with circumstances like that, obviously that can relate to those personal stories even more. I do want to return to a point I earlier made. I mentioned Nachama Leibovitz and the role of possessions. We've spoken about family dynamics and relationships and the uncle and the aunt and the nephew and whether this is really an adopted child, which he isn't really because he joins their family perhaps, say, in his 30s or 40s, but still he's under their wing. But we did mention how the increase in wealth uh, of Avram and seemingly of Lot uh, changed their relationship. That's what very much the Psukim emphasize, and we see even how their Rukhusham comes in between their names in the various verses in chapters 12, 13, and 14. And this leads me to question how both within nuclear families and extended families and blended families and families where there's adoption or informal adoption. For example, my uncle is, is uh, 10 years older than me, and so he was like an adopted child to my parents, even though my grandparents were alive. So, so he was never quite an older brother, but he kind of was, and that's always an interesting dynamic when you have people under somebody's wing, but not entirely. But possessions... Um, are an interesting uh, point to make because they can ruin relationships, even good ones. 
And so when you look through as a story develops, you wonder, is it just Lot growing up and having an identity crisis? Or is it the increase of independence and materialism that confuses him? Or is it the shifting expectations and understanding of the role of, of Avram and Sarah? And, and obviously, as we know, it's not entirely clear. But one thing that it does uh, lead me to flash back to, uh, a number of my family live in a kibbutz here in Israel. And during my lifetime, this kibbutz has radically changed. When I was young, it was a traditional kibbutz, and now it's just a kibbutz in name. And what was the thing that came between relationships? The answer is things, possessions. Because when I was young, everyone had the same things. And all of a sudden, one person you know, got a bigger couch, some, another person got a larger television, another person got a piano, and neighbors who were family became just neighbors who you see on a rare occasion. And possessions can fracture even the closest of relationships. Jealousy uh, can do terrible things. And so, especially with Lot trying to understand who he is, maybe he thinks he's going to find himself with what he has. Um, maybe he's trying to be like Avram and Sarah and have his own independent home. But with that burden comes responsibilities. And I think... With those responsibilities comes at times confusion. He goes to Stom, we say, uh, in order to feed his livestock, maybe in order to make a difference spiritually. But he loses himself there. That's the point. He loses himself. Perhaps it was because of what he had. Perhaps it was because he wasn't strong enough and he was simply trying to imitate his uncle and aunt and never fully felt that drive himself Perhaps because he never really knew what his mission was about. And he just tried to be like others. But what you actually end up with is a person with riches, but with a negative legacy. That's why Chazal described him. Uh, a person with abundance, but lacking any kind of record of doing good actively in the world. And so many of us, we pursue possessions, richness, abundance, affluence. But we forget the relationships should always come first. People should always come ahead of things. And values, identity, needs to come ahead of it all. If you don't know who you are, and if you don't commit yourself to be around people, who help you answer that question, no amount of possessions will make your life better. I think on that note, we'll close today's conversation. But uh, I, I thank you. This was utterly thought-provoking, and I'm sure we'll open up many new ways to think about the figure of Lot in this Parsha and the next Parsha. And, uh, and it was wonderful to have a chance to meet you. You too. Thank you so much. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. I'm Dr. Yosefa Fogel-Rubel, and this is One-on-One -on -One Women Talk Torah, a series brought to you by Matan Women's Institute for Torah Study. Please do One-on-One -on -one and Women's Torah Learning a small favor by sharing this podcast with family and friends so that we can reach new listeners. 
You can stream and download these episodes on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Matan's website. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review in the comments. Please send us any feedback at podcast at matan.org.il. That's podcast at matan.org.il. Thanks for listening, everyone.